The name of the message is Corn in Egypt. Corn in Egypt. Genesis chapter 41. We'll be reading the last two verses. But first of all, I'd like to have a little introduction. Now in our study so far, we've seen how our great God has exalted Joseph to the position of prime minister over all of Egypt. He's the only one over him is Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has said, everything's in your hands. Everything's in your hands. He's only answerable to the king of Egypt. And Joseph was the only fit person also. We're see, he was the only fit person to open the storehouses. As he had prophesied about the famine, and no one else was able to interpret Pharaoh's dream, but Joseph did. And how did he do it? Well, he did it by the power of God, beloved. He did it by the power of God. Because God gave him an understanding of Pharaoh's dreams. See, it always goes back to our God. It always goes back to him. And Joseph had planned the crops and the storehouses and he purchased the corn when it was at a really reasonable price because there was plenty for seven years. And it had been stored up in these storehouses all across the land of Egypt. And beloved of God, only the Lord Jesus Christ Only the Lord Jesus Christ is qualified, is fit and qualified to open the storehouse of mercy to sinners. He's the only one. He's the only one. Joseph being a type of Christ, he was the only one who was fit to open the storehouses in Egypt. But our Lord Jesus Christ, he's the only one to open the storehouses of mercy, of God's mercy to sinners. Because he's the one who's full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And innumerable blessings are in him. For the believer. We can't number our blessings, beloved. We can't number them. And the word of God, the second person of the Trinity, foreknew the fall and famine of human nature. And the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit purposed and planned. They purposed and planned in eternity the everlasting covenant of mercy, whereby they would save a people. They, they would save a people. All purposed and planned by God and then executed by God. And all by, his, all by his almighty power. All by his almighty power. And then the word of God became flesh. After it was purposed and planned, at the appointed time, at God's appointed time, the word of God, the second person of the Trinity became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. Bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. You came in the likeness of human flesh and obeyed the law in order that his people might have a perfect righteousness before God, in order that we might be redeemed and saved from our sins. And he died on Calvary's cross that we might all be justified in God's sight. Because we can never justify ourselves, can we, before God. And it is the word of God, Christ, who filled the storehouses of God's blessing with grace and mercy for us. And we come and feast, don't we? We come and feast, beloved. We saw our need, we're starving. And saw our need and he draws us. The Holy Spirit draws us to Christ. And only Christ has the wisdom to distribute the spiritual blessings of God. He alone is the bread come down from heaven, isn't he? He alone. 
And the only place where food can be found for bankrupt sinners is in Christ. Nowhere else. And the food amongst the spiritual famine of this world can only be found in Christ. And he has storehouses, gospel churches, placed where he will. And God's people, we come and feast, don't we? We feast on Christ. And only he can open the storehouse. Only he can give us an understanding. Hey, only he can give us an understanding of who he is. Only he can feed us. Only Christ and Christ alone. And the Lord Jesus Christ, our heavenly Joseph, opens the storehouse of grace to Jew and Gentile. To Jew and Gentile. To bond and free. To barbarian, Scythian, bond and free. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life. You know the famine in our world right now is universal? Oh, there's a famine. And a command to repent and come to Christ is universal. It goes out there, doesn't it? It's universal. The command to repent and come to Christ is universal. And you know what? The scripture says he is able. He is able. He's able to save to the uttermost all who come to God by him. He's able. We're seeing today's message that we have no ability unless God moves in our lives and intervenes in our lives. Our last study we left off at verse 55 of Genesis chapter 41. We looked at, we'll look at verses 56 and 57 this morning where we have seen Joseph open the storehouses and all the nations come to Egypt for corn. All the nations. There's a spiritual, there's a famine in all the nations round about them. Seven years. Seven years of famine. But there's corn in Egypt. There's corn in Egypt. And this famine was, again, not just great in in Egypt. It was great in all the lands. Look at verse 56 and 57 of Genesis 41. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And remember who sent this famine. All right? Our God is sovereign over all things. He sent the seven years of plenty, and he sent the seven years of famine. Look at this. It was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold them to the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. There was nowhere else to go to get food except to Joseph. Look at this. And not just as the citizens of Egypt and the people of Egypt go to Joseph. It says in verse 57, And all the countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because the famine was so sore in all lands. See, word had went out, beloved. There's corn in Egypt. And it went out by the sovereign power of God. And there was only one place where you could get corn during this famine. And he would make bread and all kinds of things from the corn. 
And so take note, as we've seen all through the study, the unfolding plan and purpose of God in sending Joseph down to Egypt. We see here that in these two verses of Holy Scripture, that the Holy Spirit continues to reveal to us the purpose of God in sending Joseph down to Egypt. See, Joseph, when he was thrown into that pit, had no idea what the Lord had in store for him, did he? Thirteen long years later, now he's exalted by our great God to the second in command over all of Egypt. And everyone has to come to him if they want corn. Joseph again went down to Egypt, was sent down to Egypt and to manifest the sovereign almighty power of God in delivering his people from Egyptian bondage. Because remember, he, would, he, he sent down to Egypt, and Jacob, we're going to see in later study, he's going to come down with, with all of Israel. And they're going to be in bondage for 400 years. And at the appointed time, God's going to deliver them from that. All according to the plan and purpose of our great God. And he will deliver them from the bondage which they'll be placed in. And, and what will that do? That'll bring great glory to our God, won't it? Great glory to our God. And by God's will and purpose being worked out, we see that word's gotten back again to Jacob. Look at verse 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 42. Word's gotten back to Jacob. He's heard. He's heard that there was a place where corn could be purchased. And this is good news. This is good news. You're in a famine. This is really good news. They have a need, don't they? And just like everyone else had a need, and they went down to Egypt to see Joseph. Those who didn't go down to see Joseph probably perished. But oh... Good news. Good news has come during a famine. And it, and it can't be kept secret, can it? Can't be kept secret, beloved. No. Therefore, Jacob had heard about the corn down in Egypt, possibly from, from those who are traveling back through, through where he lives to go back to their homes. They may have purchased corn already and they're heading back home. Imagine through the caravans too, the caravans, different trade caravans, word would spread real fast. There's corn in Egypt. There's corn in Egypt. Let's read verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 42. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. And note in verse 1, Jacob says to his sons, why do you look upon one another? What are you doing staring at one another? Right? You, ever heard that? you ever heard that from your parents? I heard that from my parents sometimes with my brothers. What are you all doing? We're looking at you. Get going and do that. Oh my. They're, 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 they're looking upon one another and they're not able to help one another, are they? Out of the state that they're in. They're not able to help one another. They're all in the same boat. They're all in the same state. Hopeless. Helpless. 
and not one of them could provide for the needs of the whole. Not one of them. This is us in our natural state. This is us in our natural state, beloved. We're born into the state, helpless, hopeless spiritually. And our spiritual needs are not going to be met by by any of Adam's race. You can't meet my spiritual needs and I can't meet your spiritual needs. No. Not at all. I I can't even meet my own spiritual needs. Neither can anyone in this world. We must go to the one place, the one person, where all our spiritual needs are met. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. God incarnated in the flesh and all that a sinner needs, all that a sinner needs is found in Christ. Everything. Everything a sinner needs is found in Christ. So we see Jacob tell his sons that he's heard there's corn in Egypt. He tells his sons in verse 2 to go and buy some that we might live and not die. That we might live and not die. Now again, this is all being planned and purposed by our great God. And it's all coming to pass according to his divine power, beloved. That's always important to remember. All by his divine will and power. This is all occurring. And now we see it being executed, beloved. Planned and purposed, now we see it executed by by God's sovereign will. By his power. And take note again that there was only one place and one person they could go to for corn. Everybody was answerable to Joseph. Everybody. And at his, at his command, the corn was distributed and given to whom he pleases. Now the difference with grace is the Egyptians and others had to purchase this. Our salvation is free, beloved. But it did cost. And the cost is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The precious blood of Christ. doesn't cost us anything. Are you thirsty? Flee to Christ. Are you hungry? Flee to Christ. Do you see your need? Your desperate need to be saved? Flee to Christ. He's the only hope for sinners. And our, our dear brother Jacob, he knew that this was a matter of life and death. He knew that, didn't he? And he tells his sons, you must go down to Egypt. Well, the gospel preacher stands and says, flee to Christ. He's the only hope for sinners. Or you're going to die in your sins and perish and spend eternity in hell. There's only one hope, and that's Christ. And you know what it is that brings men and women to Christ? It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. The fact that when we stop and think that he left heaven for us, the word of God, that he left glory for us to redeem us from our sins, the king of glory, the one who has all power and majesty, did that for me? Oh my, what a Savior. 
what a redeemer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we can see again very clearly that the purpose of God in bringing that famine upon the land, and remember, this was all an exercise of His almighty power. All an exercise of His almighty powers. He alone, again, bought the seven years of plenty in order that the storehouses might be filled. And then He alone, again, by His almighty power, has bought this famine, this great famine, to come to pass. Again, that His will and His purpose might be accomplished. And he had, again, he had purposed to get his people down to Egypt, didn't he? He told Abraham that. And Joseph goes down before his people to keep them alive. To keep them alive. Now our great God, he sends his preachers where, where they're sheep, and he sends his sheep to the storehouses, doesn't he? He does where the gospel is being preached and proclaimed, and it's all purposed and planned and executed by our great God. There's not one person here today who's here by accident. It's planned and purposed by God. That's amazing. And, and, and it wasn't by accident that you who believe were where you were when you heard the gospel. That was all planned and purposed by God that you would flee to the one storehouse, the one who has all blessings, the heavenly Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ. All planned and purposed by God in eternity and executed in time by his almighty power. And what can we say but praise be to God? Praise be to God for his, his glory. My. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Look at this. We've read this many times, but I'd like us to read this. Now, God's preachers have been enlightened to these two truths that are woven throughout the Word of God. Number one, man's responsibility to repent of their sinful ways and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing Him as their Lord and Savior. Every man and woman is fully responsible for their sin. And number two, the absolute sovereignty of God in the salvation of His people. Look at this in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 15. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. Look at that. Shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him, that's Christ, shall not be ashamed. For there's no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Remember, there's... In the body of Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. We're one in Christ. We're one in Christ. That's what that's bringing forth. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a glorious truth. How shall they, how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? Right? And how shall they believe in, in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of 
them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So again, two things that every gospel preacher, two, two things that are interwoven throughout the word of God. Man's responsibility to repent of their sins and the sovereignty of God in salvation. God commands all men everywhere and women everywhere to repent. That's man's responsibility. And beloved, it is God who grants repentance unto life. All by his sovereign power. And, and this magnifies the sovereignty of God and salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, we saw there, shall be saved. It's the responsibility of man to call upon the name of the Lord. The promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as our Lord shall call, Acts 2.39. And then the sovereignty of God in salvation. He must first call us. He must first call us, or we'll never call upon him. How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How, how are they going to call on God if they've not believed on him? You know how? As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. <laughs> the sovereignty of God. God, God, the Holy Spirit, regenerates us. We're born again, and he gives us faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we spend the rest of our days on this earth praising his name, and we'll spend all of eternity praising his name. Oh, what a great God we have. What a great, and, and then remember this, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. There's the sovereignty of God in salvation. And how sh shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? So both the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God are clearly taught in the Holy Scriptures, beloved. And gospel preachers must declare both truths. We must declare both truths. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 42. We'll read verses 3 and 4. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. Verse 3. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother Jacob, did not, or sent not with his brethren. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother Jacob, sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mis mischief befall him. So let us remember the last state we saw Jacob in. Turn over to chapter 37. Let us remember the last state we saw Jacob in. When Jacob had been told that Joseph was killed by wild animals. When his brethren lied to them, lied to Jacob and told him, well, Joseph's dead. And we'll see the reason why Joseph held Benjamin back. We'll see why. Look at this, Genesis 37 verse or 37 verses 34 and 35. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. Oh, at the, at the announcement that, that Joseph had been killed by wild animals, he went into deep mourning, beloved. Rent his clothes, put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And then look, and his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. None of the other, and none of his other children could comfort him. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. 
Oh, my. Little did he know that he was going to see him again, eh? That's, that's for a future study, though. But Oh, my. He thought he was dead. He th- so last we see Joseph, or Jacob is in mourning, and this, this is why he says, I'm not sending Benjamin down. We see there Joseph or Jacob is stricken with grief in those verses over the thought that Joseph had, had died. So much so that he couldn't even be comforted by his, by his uh, other children. And then now think, now we're, in, we're, now we're in Genesis 42, and 13 years have come to pass, and he still remembers what happened. He's, he's not taking Benjamin. They're not taking Benjamin. He's not going to send his youngest son with his ten brothers because he has a fear of losing him too. And always remember that all that we're reading here is all predetermined by God. And his will is being executed right before our eyes. His sovereign will and purpose. This is why I love this study of Joseph because we see we see right in the down, right down into the, to the life of Joseph and how the Lord is just moving. And he does the same for us, beloved. He guides us, directs us, takes care of us. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. This is all predetermined by God. It's come to pass according to his mighty will and all by his almighty power. And, and these brothers did not know it, but they'd be facing their brother who they'd sold into slavery. They didn't know it. They didn't know it, but they will be. And all this will will occur according to the purpose and plan of God. And they won't recognize him because the Egyptians then, they put all kinds of stuff on their face. And and remember, he looks totally different than he did. So they won't even recognize him. But he recognizes them, we'll see. Oh, my God's people, when we're dead in sin, we don't even recognize Christ, do we? We don't even know him. But he sees us. He knows where his sheep. Oh, my. He knows where his sheep. Now, think of the conviction that would come upon these ten wicked brothers. We'll see that later in future studies that their hearts will be gripped with fear when they stand before Joseph. When he reveals himself to them, when he makes himself known to them, they'll be gripped with fear because they know they, 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 they hated him and sold him into slavery and, and little did they know now the one that they hated and they sold into slavery is now exalted to the highest position under Pharaoh, but the highest position Prime Minister over all of Israel, or Egypt, and all the affairs of Egypt are in his hands. They're all in his hands, all of them. He's in full control. And again, this is this is what our God does when He regenerates us, His chosen people. All of us at one time hated Christ without a cause, hated the Christ of the Bible. But now we rejoice to see his face. We rejoice to see his face. And remember that there is nothing that can be or has ever pointed to the, in the 
pointed to in the life of our Redeemer that was even objectable or questionable, let alone a cause for hatred. And yet he was hated without a cause. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was perfect, without flaw, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, and man hated him. Man hated him. Everything about him was pure and good in his life and in his death. The law of God, he upheld it perfectly. Perfectly. For us. Perfectly. He obeyed and exemplified it. He did everything that was demanded of God for us. And the doctrine that he taught was pure doctrine. And his works were works of mercy, weren't they? They were works of mercy. He was kind and tender, and he went about doing good, beloved. And yet he was hated for it. Yet he was hated for it. And there was no cause for it. The Lord of glory was hated of all men in this world, and he still is. Natural man does not love Christ. They may love a Christ of their imagination or a God of their imagination, but they hate the God of the Bible. I've told you many times when I was confronted with an electing God, when I was in religion, I got so mad. So mad. I stormed out of the guy's office. Oh, how prideful. But now I love the fact that God is an electing, choosing God. Because I never would have chosen him if he hadn't chosen me. And it's the same for every one of you. Every one of us who are, who are God's children. His amazing grace, beloved. It's amazing mercy. And he, he's hated by man without a cause, and that's exactly how he saves sinful men and, and women who hate him, without a cause. You know how he saves us? Freely by his grace. Freely by his grace. Saves us without a cause. There's nothing good in us. But God in his mercy and his grace saves his people from their sins. This is, this is amazing grace. This is matchless grace. And it's God and God alone who must convict us of our sinful enmity that's in our natural heart against him. And against Jesus Christ, his son. Against his glorious gospel. And before godly soul will grip our hearts and make us aware of how helpless and hopeless we are, only the Holy Spirit can reveal that to us. And that's when we see our need. When God shows us our need. Before that, we see no need for Christ. We see no need for salvation. But God, when God shows us what we really are before him, oh, we see our desperate need. He makes us aware again of our hopeless and helpless estate before him. 
And he gives us a new heart that bows to God and that believes the record that he's given us in the scriptures and trusts Christ. And he's our exalted king, isn't he? And what do we do? We confess him as Lord, don't we? We confess him as Lord. There's only one place where God has ordained that hopeless, helpless, bankrupt sinners can come and get bread. Only one place. Just like there was only one place in Egypt to get corn. One person to go to. And that was Joseph. There's only one place, beloved, that hopeless, helpless, bankrupt sinners can go to. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, he's the sinner's only hope. There's no other hope. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 4. We'll close with this. This one man, Christ Jesus, God incarnate in the flesh, is the only place where starving sinners can find bread. The only place. And you know what? All this was planned and purposed by our great God in eternity. And the fact that he came down and redeemed us from our sins was, a, was showing us that that which God has planned and purposed, he executed by his almighty power. And we're going to look at that this morning, the power of God. We're actually going to be looking at it this morning and tonight. It's incredible. We cannot even fathom the power of God. You know, we get but a little glimpse of it. Just a little glimpse, beloved. Oh, my. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 10 to 12. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And how did he raise Christ from the dead? By his almighty power, beloved. By his almighty power. Even by him doth this man stand here before you all. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Look at this. Neither is there salvation in any other. No other. No other. One place to come. One person to go to. For there is none other name made under, or none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That's it. One place. Oh, may God give you grace to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And to know that there's salvation in no other but him. No other but him.